Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Battle Thumper Podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me tonight is Zachariah King. I'm here, man. And we are going to be talking about hermeneutics. Spell it. H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C-S. Hermeneutics. I hope that's right. I don't know if it is. I was always bad at the spelling bee part of things. So we're going to be talking about a lot of $5 words. So we're going to be defining them as we go because we're going to be speaking Christianese. And we'll try to make the subject we're going to be on and the words and the, and the definitions known and read and explained <coughs> just to help everyone stay up on what we're talking about. So do you want to, you're the one that picked hermeneutics for tonight. Well, I, this is one that uh, I think you and I could have a fun discussion. About. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just sitting and talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is incredibly important. Even though it's oh, a word absolutely. That, you know, that no one can spell, yeah. but if we define it as the framework by which we try to understand what the scriptures are saying, mm-hmm. then everyone has one. Everyone, everyone does, even yeah. if they don't know. Even that. if you don't know that you do, you have yeah. one. And if you if you don't have a fairly clearly defined way of understanding what your hermeneutic is. Mm then you can get blown by the wind. All oh, over yeah. The place. You can be all over the map. So I defined it as, or I don't even, I might have cut and pasted this definition, so I don't <laughs> want to take credit for it. But I was looking it up to try to figure out, you know, the best way to phrase it to make it easily understood. So the art or science of interpretation. Sure. Meaning the way that you interpret the Bible. And you will find this word, hermeneutic, um, or a... We'll, we'll stay with that. You will find this word hermeneutic. They just slipped the notes I want to print it off under the door. You will find <laughs> this word hermeneutic with literature as well. Forget it. I got it. It's on you the left. I was going to see if I can reach it. No, no, it's, it's fine. When you're, when you're dealing with classical literature, how do you interpret yeah, what you sure. are reading? Okay, so there, there's a method as opposed to, you know, what, how do I feel about this verse? Right, you know? right, right. Okay, so in biblical interpretation, there are many types of hermeneutics that have emerged. There are ways that people, when they read the Bible, mostly when they study the Bible, or when they're trying to get answers to portions of the Bible that are a little more difficult. Yes. Uh, a lot of times, prophet, because let's face it, when we're going over the commandments and it says, thou shalt not steal, do we pretty straightforward? Do we need to interpret that in some way? I think we can just... Yeah, all, the only people who do the ones are trying to get away. Trying to get, away, trying sure. to get out of, or, yeah, 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 you know, sure. or from underneath that commandment, the people Absolutely. that want to steal. Okay, so... I have a couple different types of interpretation that I think are pretty popular. Okay. Yeah. But what are you, what do you think about? Well, I mean, the, the basic one that everybody thinks about, because I, I think we do a really, I think we do a huge disservice to ourselves. Okay. 
And, and I think we do this in a lot of different ways in our culture, but we, we build the sort of false dichotomies. Mm-hmm. So the, the first place that everybody goes to is, do you believe in the Bible literally mm-hmm. or do you believe in it spiritually? Mm-hmm. And the ones that this, Spiritual uh, spiritualizing the scriptures. I'm not even entirely sure what that would mean. Yeah, I don't like using that term spiritualizing. Although I understand what someone means when they say, you know, uh, the the spiritual or the mystic. You know, the way they look at the Bible as to always mean more than what's at face value. Sure, and they're always trying to get so. It sounds to me like what you're explaining is that people will call literal and uh, allegorical as mutually exclusive. Sure. Like, which one sure. are you? Yeah. And it's like, oh. And if you're this one, then you're not that one, sure, and you have sure. nothing to do with it's it. Like, oh, Patrick takes the Bible literally. <laughs> if you show up to his house on and out, like mm-hmm. he's, he's a super right wing conservative. Mm-hmm. Up to his house unannounced, you might mm-hmm. get shot. Mm-hmm. Um, like just, uh, but there, that's the only. If, if you believe in things literally, then that's the camp you're in. Yeah. And if you're like, well, yeah. I think there might be some metaphors in the Bible. And then you go, oh, well, this guy didn't even believe anything. Just, sure. Yeah, he couldn't okay. figure out anything that's going on because it's all just like floating around in the air, lovey dovey. Okay, so in the same way, if you are a fundamentalist, then that means that you are against the Holy Spirit and against talking about or believing in the power of the sure, Holy Spirit. Sure. And if you are a Pentecostal, then you are a charismaniac oh, yeah. who oh, cannot yeah. be nailed down on anything because you go entirely off of feeling. What does it really mean to steal? Mm-hmm. And you write a book about like, yeah, and it's no... We, but we build those two in our minds. We just do this naturally somehow or another. But we, we build these two sort of categories where I look at it, and I know Chuck Missler, who um, I've done a couple of his studies. Mm-hmm. I think he said one time that, that there's 27 different um, types of speech, types of writing that, that are used in the, in the scriptures. Nope. Over 200. Over 200. Yeah. So, and and we can get into some of those, but sure. in the same way, because I've had people say to me, well, you know, how do you know when God is speaking literally and when he is speaking allegorically? And I say to everybody, have you ever read any other book? How do you know when I'm speaking literally and sure. allegorically? Sure. You know, Zach, I have something heavy we got to get out of the truck can you lend me a hand right okay well do i yeah do i want (laughs) your hand or is that you know an example of a type of speech that means something greater right okay man you know i saw your new car you drove up in that's a nice set of wheels well i don't mean just the wheels that's indicative of the entire car okay right when i need your help lifting something heavy i don't literally mean i want your hand i want the whole body attached to the hand okay so these are figures of speech and the bible is full of them god used them you know the authors of the bible wrote them down and there's nothing wrong with understanding that 
Okay, so how would you, <coughs> excuse me, how would you define the literal interpretation of the Bible? The guys who would say the my hermeneutic is going to be literal. What, what I've heard said most, I think, is that when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense, mm -hmm. right? Is that that's something that you've... I think the, the idea of like plain text, we are trying to figure out um, the biblical, what the biblical text is saying based on the plain meaning conveyed to the text sure. with basic historical context. Okay, we're so not... If it says that Noah built an ark yeah. and there were eight people inside yeah. of it, yeah. what it means is... Noah built an ark, and yeah. there were eight people inside of it. And and that's something that I'm going to get to when, because I actually am going to go over my personal hermeneutical style, mm -hmm. and I have six points that I want to go over as far as I think these are all good ideas when you're studying the Bible, and I don't know if I'd necessarily keep them in the order that I wrote them down, but the first one is going to be literal. <coughs> Yeah, and, and literal, but again, the when you're reading the Psalms, mm -hmm. and David says, "My enemies plowed furrows in mm -hmm. my back, sure, and they plowed them long and straight." Yeah, but you don't have an image of David being no. knocked over in, yeah. a, in a field, yeah, and, and like, then a little plow yeah, like, ox, yeah, like okay. an Austrian plow. Yeah, God gathers yeah. his people like you know under, under his, his wing. wing. Okay, well, God doesn't have feathers. We, we <laughs> sure. understand. And it's yeah. a you know it's right. a it's a type of speech it's a figure of speech so we we understand what similes and metaphors are and there's nothing wrong with the bible using them so i literally believe when i'm and this is what and, and you know you can call me a fundamentalist and i don't take offense to that even though i think i'm supposed to nowadays <laughs> you know i think that's okay, usually yeah. mean in a derisive way I am a fundamentalist when it comes to the Bible, and that is that I want to take the Bible literally as often as possible. And in that case, I literally believe that God considers himself to be a protective mother hen, just like a chicken that I have seen on my farm and how they would protect their young. Right. So, but I don't literally believe that God is some type of a bird with feathers. Right. Okay. Right. It, it was in, it was the literal writing there was intended to be allegorical. Okay. When something is something else. Okay. Yes. So, okay. So that's the literal interpretation. The, the other big one that we get is the allegorical interpretation. So another type of hermeneutics interprets the biblical narratives as having a level of reference beyond the people, the things, the events explicitly mentioned in the text. Yeah, and what I think when, when people go a little bit overboard there, it's to say, well, you don't even have to consider any of the events to be historically accurate. And that's the because, danger. Right, because the actual point is not the historical accuracy of anything that's gone on, the, the, it's the moral that it teaches. Mm -hmm. Which, and, and again, I, 
mine is some sort of a of a blend between absolutely between the two. It has I, to I, be. I think it has to be. Yeah. So you look at like Noah's Ark, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Noah built a boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a flood. Yeah, there were eight people on it. But that did all mean things too. Mm-hmm. God rescues His people yeah. from from um, from judgment. Yeah. Uh, obey what God tells you to do. And like maybe there's a reason why he's telling you to do certain things, even yeah. if you don't understand. So both of those are at play, mm-hmm. but the the tension between the two, I think, has caused a situation where it's like, well, if anybody starts drifting a little too far either yeah. direction, he's like, ah, can I listen to this guy? So we we talked about the the danger with literal, okay, which you know. Um, I think that the danger with a literal interpretation and the examples are usually extreme and silly, which are insulting at best, which we mentioned the idea of David Forgive or your God brother being, 70 times, seven times. Yeah. So, yeah, so are, you know, are we keeping track? Yeah. yeah. And when you get to 491, you yeah, then you're safe. Yeah. Sure. You know, so I think um, the examples are ridiculous. Uh, and, and I think it's obvious that a literal example would be ridiculous in a lot of cases. The allegorical interpretation, though, I think is obviously the more dangerous one because you can quickly use allegorical interpretations as the primary form of interpretation. So the danger comes when you dismiss a story as being a literal historical event. I don't see anything wrong with taking Joshua and using him as a type of Christ, which paints a picture of the Messiah to come. Uh, The danger comes when we dismiss Joshua as a historical figure at all. And and we assume he is just part of a story to help explain the point. So people who adopt allegorical interpretations of the Bible quickly dismiss difficult passages of the Bible, such as the creation account, the worldwide flood in the days of Noah. Um, and it is also common for them to dismiss great portions of or all of the futuristic prophecies in the Bible. And we just say, and it's a neat, easy way to skip over stuff and not have to deal with it. And that's not what we do here on Bible Thunder. We make a stand. Okay. Somebody's got to say it. So that's what we do here. So I think that's the danger when you start going down the allegorical. Okay. So I like that you call it allegorical, though. I'm going to jump in just real quick. Because I think to say that it's spiritualized, Mm -hmm. I I don't think that quite hits the mark either. Mm -hmm. Because I'm of the understanding that God is pretty spiritual yeah like maybe heaven mm-hmm. is sort of spiritual mm-hmm. that there are enormous pieces of what we believe that can only be categorized as spiritual as spiritual and so, supernatural right so just to, to sort of vilify that mm-hmm. also as like well you're a fundamentalist well you're a spiritualist yeah and i'm thinking to myself I think I see a way where those two things can come together yeah <laughs> and uh and maybe give you something really accurate so can I just ju- now at some point if you want to go over and define the terms exegesis and eisegesis 
as far as Ooh, to explain. Look, look at you go. Yeah, to explain. And and these terms, just like hermeneutics, just think of your hermeneutic as your interpretation style or the method of interpretation that's what you, that you use. That's what hermeneutic is. Sure, sure. So we can go over these terms as well and you know what, let's just do that now. If, and you, then, if, you, yeah, so if you got I, definitions written yeah. down, you go for it. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm I'm getting over a little bit of a head cold, and I still just got a dry like, pickle in my throat. I wasn't coughing all day, but now that we hit record. Well, as soon as you start talking all day, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's over. Okay, so two terms that you're going to run into sooner or later when you're talking about hermeneutics is exegesis and eisegesis. So exegesis is when you are reading the Bible and you are trying to learn what it means by reading what is actually there. So you are trying to get out of the Bible what it says. Eisegesis is when you are reading the Bible and trying to learn what it means by adding your own views into what it says. So if you go with the prefix X, E-X, it means out of, the prefix ice, E-I-S, means into. So the danger, and you just need to know this so you can spot it when someone's doing it, when a Bible teacher is putting their slant on something and they're trying to kind of bend the Bible to align with their personal beliefs, so they're putting their spin on it, then the fact is the Bible just doesn't say that Maybe it sounds good, but there's a danger to use the Bible to try to get evidence for a doctrine that it doesn't support. And the Bible's been used to do that. I mean, Satan did it. Yeah, the devil did it. The Ku Klux Klan did it. I mean, there's groups all over the world that will continually try to use the teachings of Christ and, and the Bible to support you know, crazy and wackadoo ideas that it just doesn't say. And that's eisegesis when they are putting their views into what the Bible says. So you you want to try to uh, get out of the Bible what the author meant, okay, not what we would like it to say. All right, so with that, my personal hermeneutical style. Yeah. Here we go. Number one. And this is what I think is the most important one to start with, and that is literal. And Zach, I call literal non-interpretive. Non-interpretive. Okay. So I've talked to, I was talking to one pastor, and we were chit-chatting about something, and he was adamant that everybody interprets the Bible. And I was like, nope. And he's like, yeah, you, you know, no matter who it is, they always, you know, they're always giving their interpretation. As like a literal interpretation is called reading. <laughs> okay. Okay. That that's not an interpretation. When God said, "Thou shalt not steal," well, what did God mean there? Thou shalt not steal. Okay, that's it. So I don't see that as an interpretation. Because interpreting something is when you are trying to figure out what they are saying so that you can explain it to someone else. Have you ever used an interpreter? 
Oh, yes, I have. Okay, so what are they doing? They're listening to what you say, and then they're explaining it to somebody that doesn't understand it. But when I read it and you read it and we all understand it the same, it's not an interpretation. So what I like to tell people to do is take what I call, and I did not coin this phrase, okay, I stole it from someone, what I call the desert island challenge. You are on a desert island with nothing but a Bible, Mm -hmm. no interference from anywhere or anyone, what would you believe? Well, you would believe a very literal interpretation of the Bible. You would believe that God created everything in six days. You'd believe there's a worldwide flood in the days of Noah. You would believe a lot of these things, and you're not interpreting it. You're just reading the book and believing it. We do this with textbooks. We do this with, you know, uh, fiction and nonfiction and biographies. We do this all the time. We read a book and we believe what it says. That's it. It's not an interpretation. So literal is taking words at face value without metaphor or allegory. So the examples that we've already brought up, and I'm going to bring them up again right now just to make sure people understand, is that creation actually happened in six literal days like we now experience. It was a supernatural origin story of God creating everything. That is literal. We're not putting a spin on it. That's what it says. He said, let there be light. There is light. Okay. The flood in the days of Noah was a worldwide global catastrophe where all but eight people drowned. The eight survivors were on a boat for a period of about one calendar year that they made under the direction of God. God brought them to of every land-dwelling, air-breathing animal, some of other animals, okay, to live on the boat with them during the flood. That's what it says. I'm not spinning it. So the literal interpretation, I always tell people this, take a nine-year-old, give them the Bible, take 59-year-olds, have them read the creation account and ask them all what happened. happened? Well, God made everything. How long did it take them? Six to seven days, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) Okay, if we count the day off, then it's seven days. And I think that's the safest way to read the Bible is like a pack of nine-year-olds because they're just going to read it and they're going to believe what it says. And that's always the safest and best place to start from is the literal interpretation. So I believe those two stories, the creation account and the the flood in the days of Noah, to be literal. I also believe Jesus walked on water, he raised the dead, and his mama gave birth to him while she was a virgin. Mm -hmm. That's just Taking it for Facebook. Died on the cross, rose from the grave. You got it. Rose from you got it. Okay. Three days later. So I believe all of that without metaphor or allegory. Tell me your thoughts on my explanation of the, literal interpretation to start. No, with. no, no. no. And do you believe good. that's a good starting point? I the I know you've got other things on here to talk about. So this we're going to add a lot more. Yeah, we're going to add a bunch. Yeah, of stuff. I'm just saying. Said, yeah. you don't want to start with some other type of interpretation when you start with okay i'm going to read this and figure out what he meant to say by saying this instead of what he was going what did god want me to get out of the story yes that's that's a fine question after After you've done the literal interpretation so at some point we'll have to talk about the difficulty of um 
people writing the books thousands of years ago uh-huh. in a different language yeah. from a different yeah. time frame. Like yeah. I, I got people I deal with in Kenya yeah. right now, mm-hmm. and they can speak English. Yeah. And we are we live in different worlds. Oh right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I, that, I do think that that one's interesting. And that might be if we don't have time tonight, that'll be a great follow up topic because a lot of people have questions on it, and lo and behold, I have strong opinions on it. Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so no problem with literal interpretation. You have no problem telling people a good place to start is just believe what it says. Like when Paul was writing his letters, Mm -hmm. and he says, hey guys, about the question that you asked, here's what I think you should do. Yep. Just like the way that you and I would write an email. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a safe place to start. Yep. We, there was yeah, a guy named Paul. There was a church in Corinth. He was writing to them. He wrote a letter to those guys <laughs> yeah. who he knew, yeah. and they had asked him questions. Yep, and he was answering it. Sure. Okay. Okay, so moving on to some of the maybe more difficult or um, possibly, you know, uh, other ways we can look at Bible interpretation. Number two is I suggest that people use a historical contextual hermeneutic, okay? So this manner of hermeneutical study asks or uses two questions. Question number one, what would this have meant to the author who wrote it? Question number two, what would this have meant to the original reader it was meant for? Yeah. And that takes a, a whole school of study in itself. Yeah, you need to, to know those who the author is, what was going on at the time. Who is he writing to? You got it. What were, what were they going through? <clears throat> and this is why I'm a big fan of expository teaching. If you come to our church, we're going to get a book, and we're going to go through it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll also go over topical stuff. But, but for the most part, we, we focus on expositional Oh, uh, sorry, expositorial teaching. You're going to get the history. <clears throat> You're going to get not outside of the Bible what was going on in the world. You're going to get what happened leading up to this point. <clears throat> You're going to get who the guy was, where did he live, all this stuff. <clears throat> and the reason is, without knowing that, you're not going to have a good context because. Life in 2022 in Western Colorado, you know, what they're going through might not make sense. I, I've taught on the founding of America, and I've explained to people, the First Amendment, when it applies to the government never running a church, and the church never running the government, that those two things are not supposed to happen, okay? The government is supposed to leave churches alone. The church is never supposed to run the government. You and I have no, no earthly idea why that would need to be in there unless you look at what was going on at the time. Less than 150 years ago, Galileo was on trial for his life because he dared to challenge one of the state church's teachings. And if you dared to do that, well, off with his head. Right, exactly. And you had kings and queens doing that all the time. Now, we don't deal with that now. So unless you get a little bit of context as to what was going on 
1776 and, you know, 1791 and, you know, the Constitutional Convention and the amendments and the Bill of Rights and the whole package, if you don't have any context, some of it might not make sense. Sure. Okay. So that's why I want to go over um, the author, what it meant to him and the reader that it was meant for. So Jonah was a message from God to the Assyrians. Um, <clears throat> so if you don't know anything about Assyria, if you don't know who the God of Nineveh was, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, he got swallowed by a fish. Yeah, like, you're gonna, great. yeah, but there's a relationship between the fish and the fish God of yes. Nineveh, the capital of the ruling power of the world, Assyria. And if you don't know what Assyria had done yep. to Israel, yeah, then a lot of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Amos was to the Jews in the northern kingdom prior to the Babylonian captivity. Well, that was different than the southern kingdom. Um, you have uh, Ezekiel being a message from God to the Jews living in Babylonia uh, and a message to the Jews uh, who were still living in Jerusalem at the time, who were two groups. Malachi was to the Jews after uh, the exile from that. Um, to Babylon when they came back to the land. So if you don't have any context, all of these books are going to be difficult because you don't know if the Jews were doing well, if they were far from God, if they were obedient, if they were in the land, out of the land. Okay. Well, when you read Psalm 137, he says, blessed be he takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Uh-huh. But unless you understand that these are people who had just been exiled yeah. from their city, they, mm -hmm. the city had been laid siege, mm -hmm. they were eating their own kids. Mm -hmm. Then their um, cousins, mm -hmm. the Edomites, gave them over as they were fleeing from the Babylonians. The Babylonians want them to sing a song, and they're just being honest with God, saying, look, the temple is gone, mm -hmm. our city is gone, our people is gone. We lost the promised land. I'm not telling you that I'm going to go grab their kids. And yeah, smash yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm telling you is, yeah, I would really like for somebody to show up and take care of this. Yeah. If you don't have the context of what was going on in Jerusalem and at the temple, mm -hmm. you look at that and you're like, well, let's just take it out. Yeah. We don't need to. Let's yeah. Just move, let's just. Move, let's just. Oh, yeah. Where's the 37? I've never heard of that. Yep. And it's just gone. So the, the historical contextual that is my favorite part yeah. i love studying that stuff okay so isaiah in chapter 11 talks about bringing israel god bringing israel back to the land a second time what people don't understand is when is when isaiah wrote that israel never left the land the first time they were still in it they were still in the land they hadn't gone to babylon and been brought back the first time so what are you talking about bring us back a second time now us looking back and knowing history we see 70 a.d happen the romans mm -hmm. you know sacked jerusalem destroyed the temple burned the city and the jews scattered around the world and then in 1948 god brings the israelites back a second time yes so again, without some context, now, so with a little bit of context, you can all of a sudden see that's a futuristic prophecy. Yeah, it starts to make some sense. 
And I think it's still, the culture has changed so fast now, yeah. even compared to what used to happen. I, I spend a lot of time with college students. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time with um, high school guys. Yep. I mean, I'm telling you, when I say, when I was, like, I'll have an 18 year old kid say, man, was, when I was your age, mm-hmm. I did not own a cell phone. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. there's no context for them understanding what yeah. I'm even talking about. Yeah. And so to, to build those a framework for people, yeah. And it's, the further back you go, the more and more important it is. Oh yeah, I'm 100 with you on that one. So to wrap it up for people, I need to start from the point of understanding who wrote it, who they wrote it to, and what they intended the meaning to be. So when Paul writes to the Gentiles and explains things, he does it very differently than when he writes to the Jews. Well, why? Because they're two different groups of people that believe different things. They have different origins. So Paul addresses them differently. And if you don't know that and you have no context, then you're going to mix up doctrine and you're going to be like, why does it sound like he's contradicting what he said in the last book I read? Well, if you go from Galatians to James, you're like, how does this work? It doesn't even make any sense. Yep. Yep, but so you gotta know. Yeah, what all and, of that and is. Jesus was the same way. And we're gonna get to this in uh, I think it's my fourth or fifth. It's my fifth um, point as far as hermeneutics. Okay, it. So we're gonna get there, and I'm Excellent. curious to see what you think. Ooh, Anything you want to add to the historical contextual? Uh, I I think the only thing I would add is um, I, I would say this. I think. In order to do that really, really well, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of study. It does. And it takes a lot of extra biblical study. Yeah. So I'm so careful yeah. about, I mean, I, I'll read, I'll get history mm-hmm. from all sorts of places. Yeah. But as far as like, okay, somebody to tell me what, what do we, we know about, about Isaiah? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm a little, more, little bit more picky about sure. the sources that you set. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there's some really, really interesting extra biblical writings mm-hmm. that Jewish people wrote yeah. Yeah. that are absolutely still in some black. There's stuff in the, that the Bible mentions. Mm-hmm. I think it, it does. It mentions other books. Like, like haven't you read the right. book? Yeah, 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 sure. well, yeah. Like, like, what do you? Why does this not make sense to you? You can pull those down on Apple yeah. Books and read them. <laughs> so there were. Clearly, other historical books that gave context to the Bible that were used by people at the time, and that was an acceptable practice. This morning, mm-hmm. I uh, <laughs> you ever seen Dumb and Dumber? Sure, the first one. Oh, and I yeah, never the saw the sequel. One, yeah. like, it's not worth it. The first one was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Lloyd Christmas, he's got a great line there. He goes, um, We've dug ourselves into a hole, mm-hmm. and now we're just going to have to dig ourselves back out. Yeah. <laughs> and I use that in uh, a sermon this morning. Yeah. And so there's part of it that's like, that doesn't mean I automatically believe that Dumb and Dumber was a yeah. real thing. Sure, sure. But I'm using a cultural framework mm-hmm. that the people that I was speaking to know yeah. and taking a lot from it to teach point. what I was teaching. Yeah. And I think that I think the biblical writers did the same thing. And so the better we can understand what that culture was. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll also say this. Um, one of the hints that I get, mm-hmm. especially with Jesus, mm-hmm. you're reading Jesus and stuff, and it's like, okay, I, I made sense of all this. 
and then there's one line drop in there, and you just go, hmm, I have not even looked That doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. I think to myself, he is saying something to the people that he was talking to that he knows they would pick up on. Yeah. Like you said, the lend me a hand thing. Yep. There's something he's using a form of speech yeah. that would clearly send a message to the Pharisee. Yeah. They're not confused. Yeah. And so I need to, I need to spend some time. I need to do some homework is. to figure out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a hint of something deeper that the Holy Spirit dropped in there for people that are willing to do a little bit of extra work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is the greater meaning or an additional lesson that you can get beyond the lesson of the literal face value, you know, of what you're reading. Okay. So we read it literally. We understand the story that it's telling. We get the historical contextual framework. Um, and then we can learn hermeneutical style number three that I use, uh, typological and prophetic. Okay. So now we're getting into the, uh, mystical idea. Okay. Which I have no problem with. And when I say typological, we could also use the term allegorical. Okay. So, Excuse me. When we're going over, um, sorry, I'm looking on my notes for something. Yeah, I'm poking around you because I don't want to sound like an idiot any more than I have. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you already do on your own just because? Yeah. Okay, so uh, to define a couple words metaphor and allegory metaphor means something is something else can you give me a something is something else something is something else yeah boy she's a Walking dictionary. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, um, I'm sure there's a better, you know, proper English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, uh, time is money. Parables mm-hmm. or you know, similar, similar sort of. You use something. They're a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. But there's yeah. You use. You're talking an allegory. That uh, he dropped the ball like it was a hot potato. Mm-hmm. Like so the hot is. potato, the ball is a hot potato, is a metaphor. Okay, the parables are an allegory. So the there's a story, and then there's, there's a story underneath the story. Yes. So we're taking a story that everyone can understand. It would be perfectly believable if it had actually happened. Yeah. But it, it doesn't have to have. No, no, correct. It doesn't have to have literally happened. It could be fictitious. But it is a story that paints a picture that makes a point that's clear to everyone. Jesus did this a lot with uh, fruit and produce and growing trees and weather and things like this. Okay, Yeah, okay, uh, shepherding, which obviously the Israelites knew a lot about. So he told a story, but there is a story under that that 
you know, we were supposed to learn something from. So one of my favorite ones was the one where there was a husbandman who, you know, um, or no, there were, let's call it an owner of a piece of land who prepped the ground and irrigated and planted and grew a vineyard and left and lent it out to a bunch of husbandmen, I think is the term. So right, right. God in the creation. Okay. And then he leaves it to the Okay, so then uh, it's time for to get the fruit from this vineyard. And the owner sends some servants and they tell them no and they rough them up a little and send them yeah, home. Yeah, then yeah. he sends some more and they do the same thing and uh -huh. they kill some. Yeah. And then um, finally he says, Well, I know, I'm just going to send my son and they're surely going to believe him. Right, and right. they don't and they kill the son. Yes. And we're reading about this, and then we kind of learn that, oh, yeah, this is God talking to his people that he put in charge of the Old Testament and the law of Moses and all these things. And then he sent a prophet, and they're like, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> whatever. You know, we know what we're doing. You know, we've been in this land taking care of this vineyard for so long. And then he sends more yeah, prophets. And, yeah, 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 exactly. And they, you know, and they beat him up and they rough him up and they kill a few of them. And then he sends his son. So it's, it's a very clear picture that there's a story underneath that we can, you know, relate it to. So we can take, take the point. Okay. So um, on to typological and prophetic and if you want to say typological is allegorical i don't think there's, there's anything wrong although types are a little bit different than allegories because allegories are stories and a type is just one thing represents another okay yeah, so it almost always represents a, a true yeah. historical yeah. event mm -hmm. that also represents something else to come yeah so god, god uses types in the bible okay if you don't understand that you're missing a lot so types of Christ in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Give me a type of Christ that comes to mind. Um, Could be the New Testament. I don't care. I don't care. Just uh, yeah. Give me a type. Of I love that. This was a little bit obscure just because there's a not, not a lot written about it. But I, I love the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. Uh -huh. And so the serpent. Oh, that, that's on the, my list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brazen serpent. Obviously happened. Real yeah. event, real staff, yep. real serpent made out of bronze, really nailed to the thing, really mm -hmm. held up in the air. For, for, for just, just give context, context, it's in Numbers chapters 20, 21, 22, somewhere, somewhere in there. So you can look it up, or if you have a, a concordance, just look up Brazen Serpent, and you'll yeah. find it. Okay, so sorry, continue. They've disobeyed yet again. <laughs> Imagine nonsense. Yep. Uh, these venomous snakes, snakes. Yeah, fiery serpents yeah. seem to bite everybody. They're biting people, yeah. they're dying, dropping dead. And God's and Moses yeah. and he goes, like, What do I do? Yeah, here's what you do yeah. <laughs> make a snake, uh -huh. nail it to a board, and yeah. hold it up in the air. Yeah. And anyone who looks at it uh -huh. will be saved. Yeah, the venom will not kill the people who look at this snake that you're just going to hold up in the sure. midst of the camp. Sure, and imagine Moses, he's like. All right. He's seen so much, right? Moses yeah. believes. He's like, okay, I guess that's what I'm going to do then. Yeah. So he does it. Um, but Jesus, mm -hmm. and Mr. kind of fun on this because he goes, uh, you, you don't understand what the true significance of that is other than 
like obey God. Yeah, yeah. obedience. And, yeah, God will save you. As strange as it yep. looks, but Jesus says, just like the serpent that was held up in the wilderness. So will the Son of Man. So will the Son of yep. Man. And he's the one nailed to the cross and yep. he takes the sin and you yep. have all this stuff. The serpent is like another level. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the serpent is um, uh, representative of sin, okay, from the garden. From the garden. But it's made of brass, which means it will withstand the fire of God, fire representing judgment. So this thing that is held up, So and, and understand, we learn about this later. So, so Zach is finishing the story by explaining John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. And this story culminates in verses... 13, 14, and 15, leading up to the most famous passage in the Bible, John 3, 16, where Jesus is explaining, I'm the serpent. Yeah. And, and, and what we learn, you know, through the rest of the Gospels, Jesus, he wasn't a sinner. He became sin, yes. just like that yes. serpent, but he could withstand, you know, the uh, wrath of God and protect us from it. And- and so it gives us both sides of the coin mm-hmm. that I don't think we need to be having such a huge fight about all the time. Mm-hmm. That I have no problem with the actual events of the wilderness having happened. Yeah, absolutely. Literally, that is a story that happens. And I have no problem at all with Jesus saying, mm-hmm. yeah, that literally happened. But yep. there's so much more. Yeah. All of that is still true. The people who looked at that serpent on that board were still saved. Saved, yep, but there's, there's now, now when, when I, I do it, yeah, it's gonna be even more yeah. for everybody. So, there is the the story happened so that we could learn something else from it. It was just saved up for a couple thousand years until this time. God never seems to be in much of a hurry, yeah, yeah. So, so there was so the brazen serpent was that Christ, okay. Um, let me do one, Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark. Yep. Okay, yeah, there was the wrath of God um, poured out on sinners. Uh, God made a way to save, protect, preserve uh, those that were obedient to him. Jesus was that ark. Uh, there was one door yep. Okay, to get into. Once you were in it, you, the door was sealed by God, just like the Holy Spirit okay, yep, seals it. Um, you know, Jesus calls himself the door in John chapter 10, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so anyway, the ark is a type of Christ that's representative of Jesus. And the, and I believe that, as we said, there was literally an ark, there were eight people on it, everyone else in the world died, there was animals on it, the whole thing. But we see that it's also a type of Christ. It's a picture of something to come. It is a type. It is prophetic. Okay, so we can learn, you know, things from it. And I use Noah's Ark as a prophetic picture of the end time as well. Right, right. Which, and we've talked about yeah, that we did, yeah, the last time we got together, which I still haven't posted. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I know. I'm hoping I wonder why nobody's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no compliments yeah, on what yeah. we did. Okay, so we can do that with different people oh, as a man. type of Christ. The the whole, I mean, I don't know if it's literally every page. Yeah. But it there's is so many main characters. Yeah. Everywhere. Joshua, Joseph, you know, there's oh, so many that. Passover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Animals, animals, people, events. They, and they all seem to have a current theme or thread running through them, which is Jesus. 
If you want to know what it's a type of, it's always a type of, just put Jesus in the middle of it. Right. The tabernacle. The tabernacle. Okay. Points to Christ and is a type of Christ. Uh, Anyway. Okay. So we, so we can move, we could, uh, we can move on from this. The idea that after we read it literally, we get the historical contextual um, framework. We can try to get a deeper meaning. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with seeing if there's prophetic implication. Right. But we don't start with allegory as a must because there doesn't have to be an allegory with everything. Okay. It it could just be something at face value that God wants us to know. Samson takes 300 foxes and ties them together with the torch in there. And you're like, okay, so what does this 300. How does that fit in? Actually, the history of the world. When were there 300? (laughs) <laughs> what was a fox, you know, what is fo- what does a fox represent? You can really go out into some interesting weeds. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and I would encourage everybody, don't be afraid to go there and try to figure it out. But you also have to remember what we say about exegesis and eisegesis. We don't want to force it. We don't yeah. want to bend the Bible to make it fit. Sometimes there are parts of the Bible that I'm just never going to understand. Oh, man. And that's okay. Do you know that that was written down in the book of Daniel where Daniel finished part of the book of Daniel? And he said, God, I don't know what this means. Yeah. What is this all about? And he literally says, Daniel, it's for someone else. Just put it <laughs> yeah. on the shelf. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, oh, all right. Well, I'm yeah. kind of worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. uh, something else that God mentions in the book of Daniel, and I, I'm not going to be able to bring up the verse. I don't remember where it was. But he talks about how um, wisdom and knowledge concerning the Bible is going to increase over time and more things are going to be revealed. And he gives us, God gives us the idea that while little old me is reading my Bible by myself, I can actually be told by God an idea that has escaped theologians for centuries that nobody else saw. And it was because it was a special thing that God just had for me. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be surprised if that happened. Right. He also could not. He could also not. But if he does. Yeah. That's great that you got an insight from the Holy spirit. And let me just give you a tip with that. The insight is not going to contain (laughs) Kool-Aid. Okay. There is going to be zero Kool-Aid in the insight that God wish, gives you. I wish they didn't use Kool-Aid, man. Kool-Aid's so good. It's really gotten beaten up. You know? Yeah, those guys, man. Yeah, but some, you know how some guys are like, oh, God gave me this special revelation on this one verse, and we all have to move out into the wilderness over here and set up razor wire. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking yeah, that might not have been done. Maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe, but maybe not. Okay. Um, can I go? Let's see. Oh, yeah, so name that one again. Um, that is typological, typological, and prophetic. Now let me go over prophetic and 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 explain this one. So I think this is the one that a lot of people are the most uncomfortable with and it's because we are trying to figure out futuristic events yeah yeah it's just it could be tough to do absolutely it's the one that we ought to be the most proud of because i think it's the one that gives us the best i I think it's the strongest ground we have to stand on that suggests that all of the bible Mm -hmm. start to back yeah 
all of those authors over all those years, what all of that information is given to us by someone who had capacity outside of what the authors were capable of having. Yeah, a supernatural origin. Absolutely. Now, the book of Revelation, where I will, my math is that 85 plus percent of the book is talking about futuristic events that have not happened yet. From here. From here. From here, from here today. That book is the only book in the entire Bible where God says, you're going to get a special blessing from me by studying it. Read this book. Yep. So God, because Caleb is one that always frustrates me, because his answer to futuristic prophecy is, well, I'll figure it out when it happens. And it's like, that's not what God says. <laughs> I understand that. That's true for everybody. That was a default position before we started this conversation. God says to study prophecy. God put it in there for us. And not only did he put it in there for us, Paul says that we are to use it to comfort one another. It's supposed to be a source of comfort. So, Which is... It's amazing to think about because it is not. <laughs> yeah, not always, not yeah. for a lot of folks. Yeah. So we are commanded to study it. We are commanded to try to figure it out. If God wanted to write it as explicitly and as clearly as thou shalt not feel, he could have, but he didn't. Sure. He didn't on purpose, but that doesn't change the fact that he has given us the command and he wants us to do it. And I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to get into prophecy and study it. Over the course of a 12-year period of studying the Bible, you're probably going to change a few of your views. You're going to learn more, okay? but it's a great, exciting way to get into the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with getting into prophecy and getting that special blessing from God by studying the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation is going to bring you to so many different books in the Bible that it quotes. It's going to bring you back to all these other books where you are going to uh, really start to get a good understanding of the whole Bible. And I'm not sure if we said that earlier on, but mm -hmm. I do um, somewhere in, in the hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. I do think it's a, I don't know if this is um, like maybe one of your main points. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there, the idea that the, I do think that the Bible is the best interpreter of itself. I think that's a great uh, point to make. So explain what you mean. Well, if we go back to the, the typological ideas, um, it, Jesus saying that I am like the serpent yeah. that was in the wilderness. Yeah. Then you go back and you read about the serpent. And learn about it. And you go, okay, yeah. if he is the one that's putting these two things together, mm -hmm. then there's something here for me to learn. Yep. It's a game. And then you start thinking about salvation, calling on the name of the mm -hmm. Lord, lifting up your eyes. Mm -hmm. You start thinking about the cross and the death yeah. and defeating the serpents. Mm -hmm. and all. So if all you have, if you don't ever read the Old Testament and all you have is Jesus and Nicodemus, mm -hmm. well, there's a reason why people don't know that Jesus told that to Nicodemus. Yeah. Right? Because you grab onto John 3.16 because you can see it on a sign at a basketball game. Yeah. And, and you miss, like, he's, he's building an argument that does sort of culminate there. Yeah. But 
when you when you don't understand what the argument is that yeah. he's making, yep. you miss an awful lot of it. And Revelation being at the end, mm-hmm. being um, complete, like the the entire table is set yeah. by all of the rest of Scripture. So if you study it without looking, like without using the table that's been set, mm-hmm. it's like just grabbing a chunk of cold meat out of the fridge and chewing on it yeah. instead of looking at instead of doing the whole meal. I've had people that argue with me about points on the thousand-year millennial reign. And I've had some people that flat out tell me that it doesn't exist. And other people argue with me that the Bible is talking about the thousand-year millennial reign in portions of Isaiah. Isaiah contains, I believe, the most written about the thousand-year millennial reign. And I always tell people the reason that I believe this portion of scripture is talking about this timeline here is because it says it is. When you go here, there are linking parts where it gives you a key and says, you know, this is the last trumpet of God. And and it's like, okay. And then you read another part that talks about the last last trumpet trumpet of God. God. And you're like, well, are these talking about? Yes! Yes, they're talking about the same part. Joe didn't just see a vision and yeah. he's like, okay, we're just write down exactly what I see. And mm-hmm. yes, he did see a vision. And yes, he wrote down exactly what he saw. Mm-hmm. But the way that he wrote it down is mm-hmm. completely saturated mm-hmm. with the quotes from the Old Testament that point you to certain portions that tie them together. Because he is he's saying, well, yeah. like, this, this is on purpose. I'm understanding this. He's connecting dots. And it takes work, man. Mm-hmm. It takes work. Okay, okay. so uh, okay, okay, let's get on to, because we're almost out of an hour, so I want to get through this. And I don't want this to be two and a half hours, because i got to be up real early. Okay, okay I, I, so, was, I was looking at it earlier on, and yeah. I thought, we're going to be on pace again. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, yeah. we, I think we could, but no, there's nothing wrong just, with tying a bow on it. And no, calling, no, there is not. No, okay. there is not. So, hermeneutical point number four is avoid anecdotal interpretations. Avoid anecdotal anecdotal interpretations. Okay, so an anecdote is not necessarily true or reliable because they are based on personal experience and feelings rather than facts or research. So this is kind of like so to give you an idea kind of situation. Well, when you're trying to figure out what the Bible means, you cannot. So, uh, and this is a perfect example of eisegesis. My personal feelings and my personal experience, I'm going to project on the Bible, and therefore I'm going to come up with a conclusion. And Zach, I can tell you this. All of the stupidest things that have ever <laughs> come out of a Christian's mouth in front of you have been anecdotal and emotional arguments for making a point. I actually had someone explain to me, you know, well, I don't really think that there's anything wrong with homosexuality. You know, uh, my dog's gay and I have a male dog and he seems to only go after and try to hump other male dogs. So he's gay and therefore God made him that way. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. 
I, I had a Christian say that to me with a straight face. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I won't speak to them anymore. I can't handle that level of stupidity. But my point is I had someone tell me that uh, making argument against homosexuality because of a child that was in the daycare that they worked at. And they're explaining to me that this <clears throat> four-year-old little boy always wants to, you know, play with uh, the dolls. And therefore, you know, mm. homosexuality is totally legitimate because maybe, maybe missing steps. Yeah. Yeah. We're, they're connecting dots. They're going from A to Z. They're skipping B, C, D, E, you know, and they're, but what it is is they want to believe that there's not a problem with it. And then basically what comes, what it comes down to is they're getting pressure from somewhere in their life to not be against sodomy. And therefore, they're trying. They're using a hail mary, you know. Last, bit, what, what can, can I, I use to justify my position of being completely one hundred percent anti Bible on this subject? So, we don't use facts, logic, reason, and Bible verses. We use our own experience and we use feelings. And I think it gets even more dangerous when we do use Bible verses mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot of that too. Love your neighbor. Yeah. Jesus says it. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Nothing else matters. Well, because you don't use the Bible to determine what love, love is. is. Yep. You use your own, your own version, your own belief. Like, love for me is yep. nobody's nobody rocking the boat. Yeah. Everyone's happy. There's no confrontation. And so if Pastor's rocking the boat, mm -hmm. then he's, he's not being love loved. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, all that is super dangerous. So, and, and that's a simple one. You yeah, know, it's yeah. just you have to be aware that people are doing that. They're using their own personal experiences and their feelings, and they're putting that on the Bible rather than taking what the Bible says. Okay, number five. Bless you, man. We're yeah, yeah. Okay, number five. Uh, my method, my hermeneutical system here, is avoid outliers. Ooh, avoid. This is the one you were wondering about, right? What's the, that? What, the wondering what I thought about it. Well, I, I think this has to be a rule because all the places where people get into a big mess, I think they die on the hill of an outlier. Okay, so you have this chart and you have all these points on the chart showing the consistent growth on the xy axis going in this direction and then you have one out here you're like man what the heck well, you know what should we make of this in our statistics no. yeah. you know study it's like nothing it's an outlier it all points in the same direction except for that one except for that one and there are far too many people that take that one verse and whenever i run into somebody that thinks that baptism is a requisite for salvation yeah, i was just pulling it up okay first peter you got it so you know or mark 16 okay they they come and they grab you know this verse or that verse even though all you know there's a mountain of verses that talk about grace and faith and not works you know and how it's opposite and you know ephesians hammers at home you, and Romans, you got it yeah Okay, you know, in that in that picture in numbers about the brazen serpent, one of the things that I always try to tell people is Moses was teaching us just how simple salvation is. He's like, it's so simple, you 
you can't even believe it's that yeah, simple. Yeah. It's so simple that there were people that refused to believe that just looking at the brazen serpent would save them from the them. Of course. And they refused to do it. They had pride and they wouldn't do it and they died. Yes. Yes, they and did. all they had to do was look at it because when you look at it, you're acknowledging, okay, that that is the way of salvation, and that's the that's the amount of belief you need. Yes. Okay. And even with the mountain of scripture that shows us that, how many people in the world get messed up on salvation because of an outlier here or there. Well, works has to be involved because, you know, James 1, you know, has a verse about it and and baptism has to be part of it because Mark 16, you know, um, has yeah. a verse about it. And uh, so I, I tell everyone, I was like, look, when there's 50 verses pointing you in one direction very clearly and there's an outlier, you have to start out with the idea that you're probably missing something. Yes, yes. So that's a, my pushback on this one would just be, and this might just be a, um, I, I don't know, like a personality difference. Mm-hmm. Just, it, I, I can't say that I love the outliers mm-hmm. because I would be perfectly happy for all of the verses to be always pointing yeah, in one direction. I, w- I would have no problem with that at all. But I I like the last sentence you dropped in there where um like when I'm reading Jesus and he says something and I go, What in the world yeah. do the vultures circling have yeah. to do with anything How does that, that fit in? It gives me a place where I know yeah. I'm missing something. Yeah. And sometimes it takes years and years. Sure. Those are those are most of the ones that I never mm-hmm. I just don't figure out. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a harmonizing of things and all of that, but there is, there's something about those outliers where I go, this is an indication that there is something about God and what he's teaching us that I don't know yet. Yeah. At the very least, it's just humbling. Mm-hmm. Like keeps you in your place. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I look at those and I just. They, they puzzle me. Yeah. And I, I do, I do like, I wouldn't say avoid them, but I would, I, no. No, 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 yeah, but, yeah. But, but I would say, um, and as a hermeneutical principle, I think I look at those and I don't, if you have 50 on one side and one on the other, yeah, the one doesn't carry the weight. Yeah. I'm not going to build a doctrine on the one. I'm not going to die on that hill. Right. But I do look at it and I go, what is it yeah. that this title is so clear? Yeah. What's God what, teaching what, me here? What, what is the deal here mm-hmm. that's – and so then that goes back to the historical context. Mm-hmm. Is there a clue here about who this author is mm-hmm. and who, who he's writing, writing to? Yeah, that's is, a big one. Yeah, is there something there that makes things a little bit different? Did Peter think differently about Paul on mm-hmm. certain things? And those are the questions that you get to sit down and coffee with and, yeah. and struggle with forever. Yeah. Um, but there, the other thing I would say is not to become so discouraged by the outliers mm-hmm. that you end up not able to stand anywhere. Yeah. Because then, uh, 
you look at a list like from an atheist website or places that God contradicts himself. Sure. And that's what they do is they bring up the outliers and they're like, and, there you go. God doesn't know what he's talking about. And there's a bunch of those you can explain sure. away if you just take yeah. three minutes to read some context. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think there are, there are truths that the scriptures hold that we have not got, got our heads collectively oh, yeah. wrapped, wrapped around, around yet. yet. Mm -hmm. And those are indications to me that there's something more. Sure. That he's going to reveal. Yeah. I like that a lot. Okay. My last hermeneutical principle mm -hmm. is the Bible doesn't work without dispensationalism. The Bible doesn't work without, you just would, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, but so you have um, pre flood mm -hmm. dispensation, mm -hmm. right? You have, um, the wilderness mm -hmm. I mean, you could you could draw those in a lot of different places I absolutely guess. So but, let's start by defining give the people the idea of when someone comes up to you and they're like zach i just heard this idea of dispensations what does that mean and usually it's wrapped up in in eschatology right in the study of end times mm -hmm. but the basic definition of the word is essentially just that God works differently in different times. Mm -hmm. He is no different. Yeah. But before he made a covenant with Abraham, he hadn't made a covenant with Abraham yet. Yeah. So, so, he, so things were a little bit different. Yeah. Before the before Moses and the law, there was no Moses or law. Okay. So he works differently. Yeah. So after Jesus, mm -hmm. there, there, a different dispensation yeah. just simply means. Now, I mean, God can change the rules if he wants to, and, yeah. and he, I think he lays out pretty clearly when he does and yes. why he does yes. and who he does it for and all of those things. But yeah, to say that uh, if the Bible doesn't work without dispensations means that things were different in the Garden of Eden than they are now, Correct. then absolutely. And that's the idea. So, you know, dispensational theology you could probably get several definitions from several people, but I think it's safe for us to say that God dealt with different people in different times in different ways. <clears throat> and it wasn't a uh, contradiction of who God was. But uh, so, and I say that not only are there dispensational time periods, but we can also look at God dealing with different groups in different ways and different institutions in different ways. So to, to give an example that everyone can very easily look up just to give everyone a starting point is uh, dietary restrictions in the Bible. Sure. Okay. So in the garden of Eden, what was the diet that God gave to man? Vegetarian. They were vegetarian. That's what God said. Then post flood in Genesis chapter nine verses one two and three. Just as God I tell? gave you the green herbs of the ground to mm -hmm. eat, so now I also give you the animals. Yeah, so you can now eat the animals. So, and which animals could they eat? Uh, I don't think he specifies in in chapter nine nope. of Genesis. He doesn't. There's, there's no specification. So the assumption is you can eat them all. Now we do know, and this is always a fun topic of discussion, is that when they were on the boat we do find out that there were clean and unclean clean and animals so whether they knew that that was part of the diet or not we're not told that we do know that they 
knew which animals were going to be used to sacrifice to God. Um, but yes. we didn't know. Clearly, there were no clean and unclean animal restrictions like there were at the time of Moses because Noah handles an unclean bird when he sends out the raven, okay, which you weren't allowed to touch on. So, so there's a different diet after the flood than there was before the flood. And there are reasons for it. And the reasons are not complicated or hard to figure out. And like you said, with just a little bit of work, even the timelines are drawn pretty clearly. So when they got off the boat, the whole earth was underwater for a whole year. Well, there wasn't a field with a harvest ready for them to pick and cook and sure. make a salad out sure. of. So they started with, you know, we have to be able to eat some animals and then we're going to start growing stuff. Okay. So anyway, then you have uh, the mosaic diet. What was that? That's in Leviticus mm -hmm. um, mostly. And it is, there's a lot to it. There is. There's plenty to it. But yeah. It, I the mean, basics are yeah, yeah classically you're like no pork um, yeah. th there's uh no birds that are uh, yeah um fins and scales are the fish and and the birds cannot be scavengers or yeah. meat eaters they got to be mm -hmm. you know so you go through and you find out you can eat animals but only certain ones and then you and know you insects, can yeah only certain only ones, certain ones. So, yeah and you can eat, you know, all the fruits and veggies, you know. So God, again, gives a diet to Moses. And then there is the New Covenant Book of Acts diet that, you know, some might argue about. But it seems like it goes back to, you know, there's nothing unclean. You can eat everything. Yeah. Okay. And, the whole, and Paul even goes about saying that yeah, at one point. He, he and, as far as I'm concerned, there's yep. nothing unclean. Yeah. So we see at least four different diets for different people at different times. And there was reasons for it. So anyway... That, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about dispensations. Now, with that, I also want to give the idea that God deals with different groups of people and institutions in different ways. And if you don't understand this, then you are not going to be able to read and understand parts of the Bible. You are going to get confused, and it comes down to the historical contextual part. Who are they talking to? Yes. Because there are two... And we could really very easily say there are only two groups of people in the whole Bible. What are those two groups of people? The Israelites and Gentiles. You got Jews and Gentiles. That's it. Okay. And then you also have uh, saved and lost. And that's it. You know, so in a lot of different ways, you have these two groups of people and they are talked about differently. You have the sheep and the goats, right? On one hand and the, mm -hmm. the left hand and the right. You have the Jews and the Gentiles. And when Paul writes a letter to the Hebrews and when Paul writes a letter to the Romans um, and when Paul writes a letter to the Galatians or those in the churches of Galatia, I always, it's funny, so many people talk about, you know, a ch the church of the Galatians and yeah. it's like, well, Galatia was a region and there were many churches in it, but it's right. easy if you sure. don't know the history, I guess. Okay. So I just didn't want to. So if you don't know who he's writing to, you might misunderstand, you know, parts of what he's saying. And in the same way, if you don't understand um, that Jews and Gentiles are different, if you don't understand that uh, the nation of Israel and the church are different, they have a different origin, a different mission and a different destiny. And if you don't understand that, 
then when Jesus talks about the two groups, you get confused because you're lumping them all into just mankind. And it's like, no, the Jews are treated differently than the Gentiles. The church is not the nation of Israel. And those two groups are going to be doing different things at the same time, and they both have different jobs. And that's why eschatology, which is the study of the end of the world and in the Bible, the end times, when you're studying eschatology, people get confused because they don't have hard lines drawn, so they don't know who the commands are going to and, and how it works. If you don't understand the dispensations, that there is a time period uh, where up until the Messiah, and then after the Messiah leaves, there is what most people would call the church age. Mm -hmm. And then there's a time coming that's going to be different when the church age is over. And there's going to, and it, the Bible talks again and again and again in several different books about this thousand-year period of time. Okay? <laughs> and things are going to be different. And Satan's going to be chained up somewhere in the pit. Okay? And all these things are going to happen. But if you don't understand that that is a time period where things are going to be different, then when you read through the book of Isaiah, you're like, what is, how, where does this what fit? What in the world, the world is he talking about? Yeah. So that's what I mean when I say the Bible doesn't work without dispensationalism. So you need some ground rules. And if you don't have the appropriate ground rules, some of the bigger ones are Jews and Gentiles are different. The nation of Israel and the church are different. You know, if you don't have these ideas, then the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Paul, a lot of teachings you run through in the, in the New Testament you just, you don't know where to go, where to put it, you get confused, and it can be very frustrating. Oh, yeah. The first yeah. time I read the Bible, I didn't understand most of this. Sure. And, sure. And this is the best, best piece of advice, advice I'll, I'll give everybody. everybody. When, when you, you read, read the, the Bible, Bible, don't worry about the parts of the Bible you don't understand. If you're brand new to it, yep. don't sure. worry about it. Yeah. You're going to read it more than once. Plenty of time. Just worry about the parts you do understand. And then you're going to understand a little more the next time you come through. So, you know, that's a, that's a good way to do it. When you when something's interesting, underline it or highlight sure, it, write sure. a question mark there, ask your pastor, get a little bit, you know. You time to come yeah, back. Yep. It, it, you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to understand it all. You know, even when I go through a book now, I mean, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit this. You know, we're going through the book of Obadiah right now. You know, we're, we're going through the chapter of Obadiah. Yes, it's yes. 21 verses. Yes. And this is the first time I've studied it. And when I'm going through it and I'm writing up my notes, there will be a verse here or there where I'm like, oh, man, I really hope I don't get a question. <laughs> you know, because like, I really don't know the answer to this. Like, I know the answer to a lot more than I did before I ever started studying the book. But I don't know the answer to everything. I think if every Bible teacher was truly honest, sure. they would have no choice but to say that. Absolutely. And, and with that being said, when you're studying the Bible, having these you know, guidelines of hermeneutics, I think is going to help you. But don't be scared when you don't understand something. Best thing to do is get a notebook and jot down all your questions. And then grab your pastor, yep. or to yep. a lesser degree, an assistant pastor, whatever they do. The forty percent, you know. But get get whatever Bible teacher you're familiar with and sit down and ask some 
questions and you'll get some answers and then you pray about it and you wait for some answers. And, and there are going to be things that you're going to read in the Bible that you're not going to understand. And I've prayed about them. And it was for years and years and years that all of a sudden God was like, for whatever reason, hey, guess what, Patrick? Today's the day you're going to understand this thing you've been wondering about. And that's the beauty of it. Uh, even though we do want to understand as much as possible, mm -hmm. the goal is actually for God to be changing us, mm -hmm. not for us to have a cognitive understanding of yeah. everything that it says. Yeah. And through that process of the prayer and the struggling with the questions and the finding new things, that's how he changes us. Yeah. So I like that. I, I like those things. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, what, what happens is people start drawing lines in different places. Yeah, and that, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's all that goes on. But I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with, uh, with all of those. See, yeah. everybody, Patrick, isn't that crazy after all? <laughs> you just got to get me. See, this is more of a philo uh, philosoph uh, philosophical discussion sure, sure. rather than a doctrinal discussion. Yes. So if you get me on philosophical discussions, I'm, I'm just a sweetheart. Sure. Because <laughs> like, there's going to be some people that take well, could take those six things yeah. and they would read Genesis one two and go, yeah. the author is obviously not trying to teach us anything about historical. It. Well, <laughs> even if it is historical, yeah, like, that's not the, the point. The, the, the point here has nothing to do with how many calendar, like how many twenty four hour periods are involved. Yeah. So what I'm seeing here is something completely different. And they might even have a good point about things. Yeah. I, I I think that the creation story especially um is a is a brilliant story of the first temple. Yeah. It is where God dwelt on the earth. Yep. So I think that's a really cool sort of like deeper thing that's underneath there. Yeah. But, so everybody can still use those same those same six guidelines yeah. and still come up with a little bit different ideas here and there. And you know, we could put something together there because if you think about it, if that was the original temple, then the original intent was for God to be with us without any barriers whatsoever. And then when he made the next temple, which was the tabernacle in the wilderness, there was like 100,000 rules involved. To because, be able to, because Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. they're they're not, being kicked out of the garden. Mm -hmm. I think is equivalent to you can't be in the temple anymore. Correct. You can't go. You can't be in my presence. Nope. You can't do it. But now that my presence, my presence is supposed to be with you because yeah. that's like most of the point. Yeah. But I got to create a way for that to happen. Yeah. So and it needs to be clean. clean. Yep. It needs to be right. It needs to be without sin. And then when Jesus comes, then the temple opens up a little more and the, the veil is rent in twain. And then we, you know, we get the whole idea. So all of a sudden we're a little closer than we were, you know, because, before. Because he is yeah. God on earth. You got it. With us. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, and there's nothing wrong with going over any of those ideas and all of those make a good sunday school lesson and they make a good you know sermon when you don't know what else to talk about <laughs> you know so yeah. <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with going deeper you know i just uh i don't think it's the best place to start i think it's something else to I, use I do, as a tool i do believe that there's a caution there in that if you if the first question is well, okay, fine, but what does it really mean? Yeah. I, I do think there could be a tendency there yeah. to move so far away 
yeah, from where you miss the point, which is that queers are bad. Oh, and, here we go. And it's a capital crime, and they need to be stoned outside of the city. Can we just start with that as a foundation? There's this, there's, this, there's a distant station, Patrick. <laughs> Okay, so with that, everybody, thank you for... Still an hour and a half, even though we went quick. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, we still had plenty to say, and and I'm glad we tied it up. Okay, thank you, everyone, for joining us. You can join us, I don't want to say every Sunday night, because the last two two weeks didn't work, but you can join us most Sunday nights, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central, and you can find us if you go to Facebook or YouTube, search for the Bible Thumper Podcast, and you can find the podcast anywhere that you download and listen to a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, yada, yada, yada. Please download them, like them, share them, leave a comment somewhere. And um, if you are a follower of mine on YouTube, we just want to encourage you. Get back on your medication. You're going to help everybody. Okay, just go ahead and do it. I know you don't like it. I know you think the doctors, you know, have inserted nanobots into your bloodstream and they're trying to take over, you know, and, but wow, the, the medication will help. So just go ahead. And, and, and Caleb's going to get to come back and defend himself, right? No, Caleb doesn't <laughs> listen to this. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, so uh, anyway, thanks for coming, Zach. It's always a pleasure to have you and sure. we'll, uh, we'll do it again. All right. <laughs>